welcome to A Word on Plays. I'm Amy Gang, your host, and I'm here with Bjorn Whitney. Hi. Hi, actor, director, uh, local. As much as I can be, yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's for us all, I guess. Right. It's true. Um, and we're talking about Tango by, and I'm going to say this incorrectly and differently every single time I say it, Slavomir Mrozek? Mrozek? Mro- oh, do you speak Polish? Is this nope. <laughs> nope. That is me just guessing and sticking with it. Slavomir Mrozek. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, so it's a Polish play. And yes. Could you, explain, well, give us a synopsis of the plot, spoilers uh, and all. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll do my best. So it uh, it opens with, uh, if, you're, if you're reading it, a extremely intricate breakdown of what the staging is to look like. Um, when I first started reading it, I thought this was going to be a play about furniture, which are my <laughs> least favorite kinds of plays ever. But all the pieces got referenced or used throughout the mm-hmm. story, so it didn't end up bothering me. Um, and there are a few people sitting around playing cards, and it's they're making up nonsense rhymes as, mm-hmm. as they play their cards, and that seems to be... Uh, the rule and uh, a young man comes in and he's very well put up and all three of them are dressed very haphazardly and you quickly find out uh, the young man's name is Arthur this is his grandmother his uncle and this guy who just lives there mm-hmm. and uh, Eugenia is the grandmother Eugene the uncle Eddie the guy who just lives there and we we learn quickly Arthur is seeking order because all order has been removed from the world and everybody's allowed to do just whatever they want. And as a youth needing counterculture, the only way he can find counterculture is extreme order. And <laughs> his father, Stomil, uh, and his mother, uh, Eleonora, they're both all about this devil-may-care lifestyle. We find Eleonora is sleeping with this guy, Eddie, who's just hanging out there. And Stomel has these, what he calls his experiments, which really don't seem to be a much more than, I'm going to make the lights go out and then jump scare everybody with a revolver, making them think <laughs> I shot myself. And then um, Arthur is apparently in love with his cousin, Ala. Um, mm-hmm. Their relationship is just, he just seems to be from jump. Oh, hey, uh, let's have this be a thing. And Eddie's kind of creeping on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly, uh, his uncle Eugene, uh, Arthur's uncle Eugene seems to be on board with, yes, Arthur, I'm going to help you go forward and create this order. And the biggest piece of order Arthur decides he needs is Allah needs to marry him because mm-hmm. if she agrees to marry him, he can make there be a wedding ceremony and everyone in his family is going to have to fall in line mm-hmm. because that is a point of order that they can't argue with. Mm-hmm. Um, much craziness ensues with um <laughs> a, the grandmother being put up on i think it's pronounced catafalque uh it's like a yeah. f- funeral pyre mm-hmm. basically uh eugene gets a birdcage that has no bottom put over his head at one point as as punishment and um stomel is confronted by his son arthur saying oh by the way eddie's having sex with mom you should mm-hmm. take your gun and go do something about it yeah. uh when stonewall charges into that room arthur waits to hear sounds doesn't hear anything then when he finally goes in he finds uh eddie Ele- eleonora stonewall and eugenia 
all sitting around a table playing cards. <laughs> so just just being the absurdity of that's what was in that room. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al agrees to, to marry him. And then in the final act, we see everybody being done up far more proper. They're dressed much more cleanly. And it looks like Arthur, if he's feeling like he's winning, he has this point of order. Tell Allah tells Arthur that she has also slept with Eddie. Arthur gets upset and she's saying, well, I don't get this. You just wanted me to be part of this creating order. You didn't actually mm-hmm. care about me. And Arthur goes off the rails, is just freaking out, looking for the revolver, which um, Eddie now has. He hits Arthur in the back of the neck with it. Then Arthur had previously asked Eddie, oh, you're really strong. You have a strong punch, right? Mm-hmm. Eddie says, yes. Eddie proves that he does, smashes Arthur in the back of the neck, uh, killing him. Yeah. And Eddie then takes over as sort of the head of the household kind of thing, ruling with an iron fist. Uh, Stomol and Eleonora go off to their room. Oh, previously to this, Eugenia, the grandmother, had Mm -hmm. decided, she just told the family, I'm going to die now. (laughs) And she lays down and dies. And they're going, why would you do something so boring as die? As as if this is something people have choice in. Mm -hmm. And then it ends with um, Eddie and Eugene dancing the tango together, which uh, it's a callback to in the first act. Stomel and Eleonora talk about how when they were young, even dancing the tango, that in itself was this big act of defiance. Yeah. So we see the tango come back in full circle of these two who were defying Arthur's plot and creating their own order in a way. Hmm. Yeah. It was a... It's an interesting play. There's a lot there. Um, <laughs> it, I'm glad I got through it twice. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't pick up any of the humor the first time through. And in fact, when I first started reading it, I was starting to think, oh no, this is going to be one of those plays where I'm going to finish it, not like it, but it's going to be the ones where you're not allowed to say you don't like it. If you don't <laughs> like it, oh, you didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, I, I was nervous, but I, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would, especially, mm-hmm. especially on the second read. I'm going, oh, okay, th- this this is a lot of absurdity. Because Arthur, when he was talking about things he was seeking in order, like he, Arthur's not nice or likable. No. And is just super misogynistic, talking <laughs> about, well, I mean, you're a woman. You can't understand. He, like He says this repeatedly to Allah. And I'm mm-hmm. going, why does she want to be with him at all? And am I supposed to be rooting for this guy? Mm-hmm. And then realizing, like, oh, no, this is both um, comedy on the idea of Oh, if, if it's, you know, a utopia in people's minds, oh, you can do absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. You can only re- rebel on that looking for order, but looking to order to the point of fascism is yeah. useless. And he's reverting to these, like, classic rules and yeah. realizing that they're anachronisms now. And you can't go back to that, like... Right, because that's one of classicism. The, yeah, that's one of the things he says is uh, he's re- w- w- before the marriage is going to happen. He's going. I mm-hmm. tried to go back, and I realized you can't go back. There is no going back. And, exactly, and that, that's part of his breakdown because um, he he was he was just he was romanticizing the past. Is really mm-hmm. what I was getting out of it. I'm like, oh man, this this reminds me of. I mean, a lot of us talk in memes now, but there's there's, there's, there's a great, I I think it's a great one where it says, I don't get why everybody 
romanticizes the 1950s. We still have racism and milkshakes. Yeah. And that's just kind of what I, I was getting out of him. It's like, well, why are you romanticizing this ideal? It's like, we still have oppressive people, Arthur. Don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> it was it interesting and it's obvious that these characters are like, they're not real people. Right. They're very much representative of the theme and the the plot. But they're also kind of... It, it, it walks this really interesting line of like, they're not real people, but you do still care for them. Yes. Which yeah. is always the problem I have. I'm like, these aren't real people. I don't care. Yeah. And, and, and I found some of the relationships in this, despite, you know, um, at least them not being real, some of them were... A little more interesting to me. In fact, uh, the father, Stommel, he mm-hmm. actually had my favorite part of the whole play when Arthur confronts him saying, you know that Eddie is sleeping with my mother, your wife. Yeah. And Stommel saying, yeah, I know. And Arthur goes, well, doesn't that upset you? And, and all Stommel can say to him is, it does, but I don't know why. Because... Since there are, there are there are no rules and like okay these two mm-hmm. are married which is a social convention in itself like that that's a completely different thing to unpack right. to go like well wait are they, why would you guys be married if there are no rules and everything mm-hmm. they, they got married before all rules went away so <laughs> maybe they just hung on to that but the fact that he's saying I I do care about it but I don't know why and he seems yeah. more bothered that he cares about it than that he does care about it himself just going well. I, uh, I shouldn't. We've done away with all these rules, all these right. all, all these social protocols. Mm-hmm. So he's going like, why should I care about it? And that that stuck out to me as like, oh man, it's almost kind of interesting. Yeah, right here. his wife kind of has a a, a similar equivocation, you yeah. know, at the at the end there, where she's being questioned like, why do you like? This freedom, do you like, you know, like, letting everybody do everything? She's kind of like, no, I, you know, I really do like some of the... So I, it really does make comments on the failings of both sides, or all of these different yeah, generations. Yeah. Because it, you you are looking at three generations of Europeans. You're looking at the, the old guard that has kind of seen all of their... their everything that they knew growing up, all of their rules kind of fall apart... Um, the people who made them fall apart, and then the people who have only known the lawless, uh, artsy, hippie culture. <laughs> well, and then I, what was interesting about that, like the, the mm-hmm. different generations, is usually, and I think you know, this is mm-hmm. me speaking as uh, a thirty-eight-year-old American. So that's, <laughs> that, I mean, that that that's that's the the lens I'm looking at it mm-hmm. from. I'm very familiar with rebelling against your parents but respecting your grandparents yeah i'm super familiar with with that notion whereas arthur seemed to be rebelling against all generations before him because because he's the one who commands his Mm -hmm. grandmother to get on on the deathbed yeah he's like okay no you're you're gonna get up there and we're gonna light some candles and now we're reflect on eternity yeah (laughs) and like and that then that that was that that was the thing and she's all upset not wanting to get on there Mm -hmm. well she she loves so eugenia is like separate from eugene because she's enjoying the new freedoms right and eugene is like well I, i did like the old times but we can wear shorts now which was I can imagine this play like up and running and thinking that that was hilarious. <laughs> oh, no, like the 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 idea of seeing this stage, like mm-hmm. I I wanted to 
get a chance to, to watch it just again with, with all these various set pieces i mean down to how much detail all the costumes are mm-hmm. described in it's like someone is to wear this this and this and this should look like this and when ala is introduced it's saying mm-hmm. she's wearing a nightgown but okay you producers who are getting ideas it's completely <laughs> opaque it looks more like a dress than a night dress so mm-hmm. make sure you have that in mind just, You're not using it as a way to make her sexier than she. Right. I mean, even even though she's very overtly sexual in mm-hmm. many moments of it, but then also seems to more be doing it to torment Arthur. Mm-hmm. Because every time he does show interest, she's just going, no, I'm not interested anymore. I'm, I'm, no, I'm bored. <laughs> Mr. Window, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, Ella is interesting because she's obviously kind of making a deal with the devil when she yeah. she does not like her cousin um but she she's like hopeful that he'll get over his authoritarianism which is yeah it seemed like he she was really in a, in a way like trying to get him to see the light yeah in, in a sense because again first time through i remember being what exactly is going on here and mm-hmm. then by, by the second i'm going oh okay it, it, it seemed to me that the whole like seductive thing Mm -hmm. um because he was saying to her you you want men to pursue you in this way you want to have that and it's yeah i know yeah that was where i was like okay okay dude um you know slow your roll arthur Mm -hmm. but even even she was going do you really want to be in in this role like is, is, Mm -hmm. is that is that what you really want and if it is why and the fact that she was directly directly i should say directly challenging him by indirectly doing it Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know if that's an actual phrase (laughs) it makes sense to me i guess yeah because she she wasn't being aggressive in Mm -hmm. her confronting to him but even when she you know says that she had had sex with eddie which which was a lie the fact that she only said it to get a rise out of him yeah. And then is responding with, well, I didn't think you would care. Why would you care because of A, B, and C? I'm just supposed to be part of creating order, right? Mm-hmm. If it's just order, why do you have these emotions attached to it? <laughs> it I mean, it, it's really the whole play. I don't know. It, it took me a long time to figure out what what all of this really represent. I felt like I, I just needed to continue digging and digging and digging and find out like all of the little, the themes, but also like, this is kind of allegorical. Right. And, uh, and the, the fact that Eddie is in the beginning of the play, they're not called by their names until their names are revealed. Yeah. And Eddie's like pseudonym before they find, find out his name is the man with the mustache. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the man with the mustache is this strange man that's lurking around and and kind of becomes the ultimate dictator and the you know. So in the in the, the version you read, is that how their uh, characters were listed? Is like yeah, oh my, no, mine okay, so because mine had their character names from the beginning. Oh really? Yeah. So in in the version, so we obviously read different versions. Yeah. Um, in the version I read, uh, let me take out the book because. Eddie is called the man with the mustache, okay. and it is he's described as being a man with a. Square mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the description of him uh, mm-hmm. was, was the same in my version. We're saying he had this square mustache, but he was also not clean shaven otherwise. So it's like, okay, he had stubble. He's got this mustache. I think it described it even as being an uneven mustache. Hmm. Yeah. I, think. I, could, I could be misremembering 
that. But yeah, the only time a character was not listed by their name was at the, <laughs> was at the beginning of the second act when um, Eugene shows up and it just says person before he comes out of the shadows. And I, hmm. I, I, I found that uh, interesting because it's saying here, um, it said, you know, Arthur was sitting in an armchair and then someone enters and I'm thinking, well, that's that's great for, you know, the audience may not know, but <laughs> it's helpful for me as the reader to to know this. But per, mm-hmm. perhaps in reading it itself, that may have actually given you uh, an, another interesting insight to it because yeah. you didn't know who these characters were until their names were revealed. It was, it was interesting. So the person temporarily known as Grandpa, the player with the mustache... The old gentleman. Okay. Uh, sorry, the person temporarily known as Grandma. Okay, interesting. And then slowly their names are revealed, although Grandma's very late in the game. Um, and then young man uh, comes out, and that's Arthur. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a strange system that that seems to seems to be happening here and then yeah and then people come out with their names as soon as somebody refers to uh somebody by name their names are used in this version Mm -hmm. but just the the it's not man with the mustache it's player with a mustache so as player with a mustache is you know hanging out and schmoozing everybody and everybody loves him and it just i don't know it felt ominous (laughs) ominous <laughs> felt very uh i mean obviously i think of a man with a square mustache and i think of hitler sure which I, i'm sure is what he's going for I, yeah that I, I think that's a very uh very clear uh parallel especially when you get to mm-hmm. uh the end because even after he's after eddie's killed arthur he's he tells everybody else well i'm in charge now you've seen how strong of a punch i have yeah it's like i could kill any of you i want to so because of that i'm I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. Which, so, this is the thing that I've been struggling with all day today, is what is the saying, I, like, I guess I feel like this this play has no real opinions as to, like, because we have social conservative and conservatism right. words, conservatism mm-hmm. and social liberalism, and they're arguing intellectually this whole time. And then the man with the mustache has no morals whatsoever, and he comes and just destroys them all and takes control. And I, I, I don't think that there's an opinion on whether it's conservative or, or liberal socially. I think the opinion is that if we continue to squabble... I, 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 I definitely agree with that, because I, the, the sense I got was not just, you know, if, if we're squabbling over, especially over really unimportant, petty yeah stuff because like all arthur was going is like well i want order i want order and then mm-hmm. he wanted to go like really extreme with his order and it also kind of it got me thinking the idea that there, there needs to be like some some middle ground on it mm-hmm. because when you get to the sense of there's no order whatsoever you get nothing but anarchy and like the, right. at the beginning though the family looks like nothing but a bunch of hoarders because I was on Arthur's side when he mm-hmm. like when he, and some of the things he said when he first came in and he's like, "Why do we have my baby buggy sitting in the living room? Right. I haven't been in this thing in over twenty years. This is sitting here. Here's mom's mm-hmm. wedding dress covered in dust. Why isn't this in a case somewhere? Why does it just sit here?" And everybody else is going, well, that's just where the stuff landed. So nobody nobody has to clean anything because we never you know tell them to exactly. I don't. Yeah, it's. 
I mean, it's, but it's hard. So, like, if you're equating that to modern-day America. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we're, we're very much having these arguments today in America. Absolutely. Currently on Facebook, thousands of times over. Um, daily. Daily. All the time. Thousands of times um, daily. I mean, I, I'm inclined to towards a very liberal, especially a socially liberal point sure. of view. And, like, as an American... I believe you have no fucking business in my business. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we have these arguments and and so I live on this leftist side and and I and I hear that argument for like the order and you know, even sympathizing with Arthur is, is a very strange uh, I didn't sympathize with him too long. <laughs> no, 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 no. It didn't take too long before I was like, <laughs> okay, this guy sucks. I don't want anything to do with him. But but as far as like the the, the idea of, of order, because I, I I'm the same as you, where I'm like, no, I'm very I'm very socially liberal, you know. Um, basically, like as long as you're not hurting anybody, what do I care? Right. It's like really the mantra I try and live my life by as much as possible. But then the sense of like in my director brain. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, there has to be order. Like, my rehearsal starts at this time. <laughs> and if your ass isn't there ready to get to mm-hmm. work when my rehearsal starts, there's going to be health pay. There's going to be consequences. And I, I have a very rigid system on how certain things should operate. Time right. we start, time we finish, be there on the days you're called. But then, conversely, I like to have a very collaborative, creative process where I don't just tell my actors, okay, you're going to walk here on this line. You're going to say this just like mm-hmm. this. Because I brought them in to show what they can do. It, basically, if I'm if I'm that rigid about everything, why don't I do the whole play by myself mm-hmm. as opposed to hiring actors to play these roles? So, you know, to, to give me an excuse to, to talk about myself, which <laughs> all performers love to do, whether yeah. they admit it or not, um, it, it did get both sides of my brain thinking it like that. I'm going, oh, wow, because I, I do... Like you, like you, and like mm-hmm. you also said, really tending left-wise uh, socially and with social ideals. But I'm going, but no, I, I do want order on a lot of things. Yeah. And there there needs to be some. And I, I think it was like, okay, what is the what is the middle ground? And right. I, I know like we were talking about, like it sounds like so much of this play was like just, you know, nothing but super, super heavy. And a lot of it was. But I could also see, I'm like, okay, it's, there's a lot of comedy in here. It's really funny. <laughs> because it is making fun of both sides to, yeah. to the extreme. Because, like, obviously, the, the first time Arthur commanded Grandma, first time I, actually, first time I read mm-hmm. that Arthur commanded Grandma you know, to get on the deathbed, I'm like, this guy's a monster. <laughs> and then when I read the second time, I'm going, this, this is absurd. This it's is just, just absolutely absurd. It, it's, it, it, he is an absurd writer, too. So he... he wrote a lot of absurdist pieces and this isn't strictly absurdist but it steals a lot of especially with character construction it steals a lot of absurdism yeah so it, it's very ridiculous very like the characters are almost beckett characters mm-hmm. or you know just that whole absurdism it really resonates in this although the structure is very classical. It's yeah. a very three-act classical play. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and then it's... And again, I don't know why this didn't click until the second time I read it. Not mm-hmm. only is it very classical, okay, standard three-act classical play, but then it even makes a bit of a farce on that in that we see the revolver in Act <laughs> 1. And while it gets fired then, it's actually used as, as a blunt weapon. Yeah. But it's used as a weapon in Act 3. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> 
It's Chekhov's gun. Yeah. This is... They, uh, in some of the articles and, and papers I was mm-hmm. reading today while I was not sleeping huh. in, the, in the house at, the, at 18th and Union. Um, in some of the articles I read, they were t- also talking about how, you know, they the whole structure with Arthur is kind of... They're kind of playing off of Hamlet and mm-hmm. Hamlet coming home and Hamlet sure. coming home from college and being like, I know better than everybody and I'm going to control everything. And how ridiculous that is. <laughs> Except for Arthur was a little more of a man of action than Hamlet, though both of them, you know, ended up dead in the end. Yeah. So. And both of them ended up not doing much of anything that affected anything, I guess. Yeah. I mean, at least, at least Hamlet got vengeance, I guess. Like, <laughs> he, he, he set things right for his pops getting killed. So I don't know that, uh, Arthur actually. He's not actually done. Hamlet. Right. No. I mean, th- though, if, if he were, that would, that would make that, uh, uh, quite, quite the play. Yeah. He, well, he's a pedantic little brat. Daddy, yeah. <laughs> Just like Hamlet. <laughs> I heard somebody once told me that they, uh, would play a drinking game in college where everybody would sit around and read Hamlet, and anytime anybody went into to a soliloquy, they'd say "shut up" and take a drink, and they'd have to skip the soliloquy. <laughs> and I thought that that was the best, the best version of Hamlet. <laughs> uh, my favorite, uh, just as far as like you know, version, was the, the idea of like, okay, let's take characters from uh, different plays and uh, replace them, and it was basically like, okay, what if we just you know, took Macbeth and just stuck him in Hamlet's shoes. I'm like, Claudius is <laughs> dead before the first act ends, man. He, you know, he, he sees a ghost. Ghost tells him to do a thing. I'm like, this is a guy who saw a knife floating there. And he's like, yep, that checks out. My wife's right. Kill the king. Yeah. Cool. I was like, no, this dude sees a ghost. He's like, yeah, sweet. King, dead. No problem. Anything else you need me to do, Pops? Hamlet Hamlet sees a ghost and he goes crazy. Yeah. Like you would just, if you saw a ghost. Just a yeah. little. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, tango. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, I mean, it's definitely interesting. It's it's interesting. I really like the fact that it is so farcical on the outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's there's so much depth to it that we can sit and talk to it, talk about it what? ad infinitum. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's what makes it so successful as, as a comedy. I mm-hmm. mean, there needs to be some sort of lens of truth to what's in any amount of comedy, no matter how far, far school you're getting. Otherwise, there's nothing to really resonate with you. Right. It's just jokes for the sake of jokes. And those don't... Those, those don't resonate. Those, those don't last. I mean... Not e- really. E- even, when you, even when you look at, like, just pure slapstick, there were elements of truth, or there was the reflections of society within mm-hmm. that, in, in the stuff that um, was able to have... That's sustained. That yeah. you know, we still, you know, would look at now, and so that's that's I think why it was successful. Is well, yeah, and well, apparently, <laughs> so apparently, when they produced this in Poland, uh, everybody was super happy. The state was super happy, and they were like, "This is delightful." And then people started reviewing it and being like, "Wow, this is a really interesting critique of society." And Poland was like, "Nope, can't do this anymore. <laughs> All done. Nope." <laughs> But I mean, you know, it's strange to look at this because it, because it's from the 60s and it's from Poland. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about uh, a country that had, like, you know, they had these different stages of, like, classicism. Sure. And, and, you know, you go from classicism to 
the rebellion, yeah. you know, and the loosening of, of restrictions to, like, the need for more restrictions to to Russia just swooping in, you know, the USSR. Um, but it's interesting that that was relevant then, and then it, we bring it to the U.S. in 2019, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh, shit. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I was, again, reading it, I'm going, I could see this being staged uh, next week in Seattle. Right. And seeing people going, okay, that was great. That that resonated. Like, it, it, it creating conversations. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I was very, very surprised how, how well, like, it resonated. Mm-hmm. On all that, because again, like you say, with with with, with a piece of truth in there, it it reminded me almost of uh, any amount of social commentary in other great comic. Like, it reminded me of Mel, Mel Brooks is one of the first things that came to mind mm-hmm. in it. Like um, how how much of a farce on racists blazing saddles <laughs> was. I'm Mel Brooks is a perfect. Uh, I mean, it's the perfect thing to compare this to because it does feel very much like. A very smart comedy that, you know, even people who don't get what's going on in it kind of enjoy. Yeah. But, I'm sorry, you were you saying, were you going to no, continue no, 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 on no, Blazing no, was, Saddles? Cause... Well, I mean, I, no, I was, well, was going to sit here and start quoting it, but that's not uh, <laughs> re- relevant to Tango. <laughs> let's just, let's do a whole other podcast that's all quoting Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Sold. I, I would happily, I would happily do that. Um, I, Yeah, I don't know. I... I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed this play. I was waiting to be, like, waiting through the depths of, like, a 1960s, a late 60s, early 70s, like, play that was super, like, this is what we're talking about. I, the, basically, the play that the guy does in the, that's what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I completely same. Like, mm-hmm. about halfway through the first act, I remember first thinking, oh, man, this is going to be work <laughs> to get through going so this okay this would be one of those where it's like it's it's super deep and i'm gonna have to go with this whole okay the idea of having too many freedoms is bad i get it i get it oh no this is funny i, I get it, it now. yeah it was i get it now um it was shortly after the birdcage got put on the head i think <laughs> where, I started, where i started to go is at first was i'm like is this funny this is this is farce i hope and then it didn't take too much too much longer after right. that i was like oh, okay okay i i i see what's going on here and then especially the second time through mm-hmm. not having to discover who all these people were knowing what the story was going to be going okay I, I can find the humor to it. See, I really enjoyed the first line. In fact, I took a picture of it and sent it to my friends. The very first line? Because the, they're playing cards at the beginning. Mm-hmm, the person, in, and, and in my version, it's she's called the person... Uh, known as Grandma? Yeah, the person heretofore known as Grandma or something. And she says, what does she say? She says, there's my trumper, stick it up your jumper. Oh, that's what yours that's says. What mine mine says. says something totally different here. Oh, I want to hear yours now. Yeah. Mine says, um, shoot. Mine says, three of spades, razor blades. It's this person temporarily known as grandmother says, throwing card on the table with exaggerated gusto. Three of spades, razor blades. And then player with mustache says, down on the table goes Aunt Mabel. Whereas uh, mine, <laughs> that's, that'd be Eddie. Flickerty flick, and that's my trick. <laughs> so okay, we did, we did it. So I guess basically the idea there is uh, rhyming nonsense. 
Yeah, rich. yeah, they're they're being ridiculous, but I really enjoyed <laughs> the three of spades razor blades. Oh yeah, like I. <laughs> As, as funny as is, honestly, you got the humor much faster than I did because <laughs> I, I read There's My Trumper, Stick It Up Your Jumper, and my immediate reaction was, oh, shit, this is going to be absurd as hell, and I'm going to have to slog through this. And then when Amy asks me, so, describe the plot, I, I was sure I was like, I have no idea. This was, this was like... You know, dropping LSD and watching Animaniacs in a foreign language—that's <laughs> about. And, and I'm, I'm so I'm so glad it, it it wasn't that. To be fair, I really do enjoy the plays that are kind of like dropping LSD and watching Animaniacs. I mean, I love I love surrealism. And I like <laughs> the thing is for me, I like watching those plays. Oh, fair. I, yeah. <laughs> I hate reading them, and and I, I enjoyed reading this one a lot. And honestly, if if this were ever put up anywhere, one, if it were put up somewhere, I would audition for this in a heartbeat. Cause Heck I yes. Because I would want to be part of this process. Um, and also, I would love to meet a director who is insane enough to <laughs> want to put this up. But uh, if I knew a sh- production this was going up, I would be first in line to buy a damn ticket. It's interesting, like, yeah. I, I, I want to see this play put up. Uh, for various reasons, not just not just for the social commentary on it, not just for the question right. that makes us ask. I want to see how this this set is used. I want to see, mm-hmm. um, you know, normally I roll my eyes at overly detailed stage directions right. in a play. Like I'll, almost always, I'll roll my eyes and I'll be like, I skip them. Yeah, I'm like, let the director and the actors do their work. Please. And maybe that's just me being a snob as a director yeah. and actor. <laughs> I feel be, the same way. Being like, well, no, I want to do my thing. You know, I want my mm-hmm. toys, which, what you know, whatever. I'll, I'll be a snob about that. But I, I actually, I loved when Eddie kills Arthur. Mm-hmm. The stage directions were very specific of, this needs to look as realistic as possible. Mm-hmm. This should not look staged at all. This needs to look violent and uncomfortable and it it brought me back to plays that have those moments of violence or horror that straight up makes you uncomfortable like mm-hmm. it brought me to, to like titus andronicus oh where, wow where like lavinia comes out no tongue no hands and if you're in that audience you should be horrified it still haunts my dreams <laughs> uh, um, directed that show for an entire summer i had, had i had nightmares for a couple months Ugh. but but those moments of horror, mm-hmm. that that resonates, and I, I really like that on there. Where it's like, no, this is not this is not part of the farce. Yeah, and, and that's where I was like, okay, these stage directions are actually important. Otherwise, I could see it being over the top and cartoony. Like I, I could see it looking like 1960s Batman, where like Zowie oh gosh, <laughs> goes on like a big you know yeah. uh, cyclorama in the background, as opposed to no. This should be violent, smashed in the back of the neck with the butt of the revolver, and then he smashes his head into the ground and kills him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Well, and that goes straight to the whole point of the play. Yes. Is you're you're lost in this farce and you're enjoying yourself and you're thinking this is funny and you know, you've got a girl in a wedding dress running around like ha 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 and then all of a sudden you're hit in the back of the head. Oh yeah. You know. Like th- th- that's one of the things I'm going that that moment like that's the one I would mm-hmm. want me in the audience for being like I want to see how they do this because like ha 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 it's funny it's funny it's funny boom okay I think I'm gonna puke now yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm so, terrified yeah this is I mean and this is 
this is one of those plays that uses that talks about politics and you know is very it has a very serious message about politics but is really good like it has a really good emotional core so it's really good at it should be really good at emotionally manipulating its audience well and and, and i like that every single character at least has one moment where they Mm -hmm. have a point in something they're talking about or there are moments where they're really invested like you you mentioned eugenia talking about how much she enjoyed all these freedoms and that was Mm -hmm. one of my favorites so i'm like oh sure the elderly woman probably is really excited about all these freedoms Mm -hmm. because women having fewer freedoms because you know misogyny is this thing that won't go away Mm -hmm. and the further back you go usually the worse it gets so the fact that she's like, uh, I'm free and I can do whatever I want, uh, hell yeah. This, I want to play cards. This is great, yeah. I'm playing cards now. I don't have to cook for anybody. I don't have to mm-hmm. for anybody. I am playing cards and everybody else can bite my ass. Like, <laughs> I like Eugenia. Like, <laughs> I really liked Eugenia too. She was adorable. And uh, she all she wanted to do was play cards. <laughs> and, well, and then also, like, she, she was the one who I would argue had the most agency throughout the play. Mm-hmm. She's playing cards, but she just wanted to play cards. And then she finally just goes, she's like, hey, I'm going to die now. <laughs> and she does. Yeah. Like, and it, it, as amusing as that scene was, and like, it was like, I can't believe I'm saying like the death of an old woman yeah, was funny, right. but she just gets up there and decides, yep, I'm going to die. And they're going, oh, hey, she's dead. Because then she's gone up there. They're like, oh, hey, hey, gra- grandma's got something to say. Everybody gather around. Gr- gr- grandma <laughs> yeah. wants to say something. She's like, oh, I'm going to die now. <laughs> And they're going, well, why would you do anything as boring as that? And it, basically, it seemed like she was going, yeah, I'm just, I'm done. This is, yeah. I'm not, you know, we're, we're, you, you, I, I, I couldn't tell if it was she was just bored or if she was worried about things going back to the old ways. And either way, I like it. Yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't entirely sure about the intent behind yeah. her. I, I hope it wasn't Colin B. Because, again, I liked Eugenia so mm-hmm. much. I'm like, oh, I don't want Eugenia deciding she's going <laughs> to die because she's afraid things are going to suck again. I just <laughs> hope she was like, you know what? I'm bored. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll check out. I'm I've gonna, done enough. Yeah. I've been here long enough. I'm going <laughs> to see if there's anything on the other side. And if there's not, oh, well. I won't, <laughs> I won't know any different. Aw. Yeah. Eugenia was great. I Eugene was interesting too because he obviously wanted to go back to the old ways, but not yeah. entirely. Well, and and when when Eddie ended up being the I guess villain for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. though I mean Arthur comes in close second for that. I guess right. Arthur didn't brutally murder anybody, so I guess that makes him less of a villain than Eddie, though um, I don't believe him when he says he wasn't trying to rape Allah. He's Mm. like, oh, did you think I was trying to rape you? No, I wasn't. I'm like, no, I think you were, and that's messed up. um, I'm like, I think the only reason you didn't is because somebody else walked in the room, just FYI. Yeah, those interactions are, are, I mean, Allah keeps her, she keeps her, like, upper higher ground a little bit but it feels like his rules are really like holding him back from something violent and awful yeah yeah it's kind of terrifying oh yeah 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 there 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 was a there was a scary scary rage in him and i i almost felt in a way maybe that like, there was one or two things. One, he was going to rape her 
unless mm-hmm. someone had come into the room. Or he held himself back and it was the idea of, well, if we go purely to these super, super old school, mega misogynistic, mm-hmm. oh, hey, you're you're a woman, you can't cry rape because I have these male desires and insert all this other bullshit right. here. And maybe that there was a level of he didn't want to go there. Hmm. but I don't want to give Arthur that much credit. So <laughs> anything that's positive towards right. Arthur, I'm not going to give him. <laughs> well, I felt like his rules were the things that were holding him back from doing something awful and violent, but also were p- pigeonholing him into being something kind of awful and violent and only being restricted by the idea that Allah wouldn't want sex. Right. And and I don't and maybe it was just me, but like you were talking about how, you know, Eugene seemed all about, oh, I want to go back to this mm-hmm. old way. I I couldn't tell in the second act if Eugene was Arthur's toady and like he was just doing what Arthur mm-hmm. wanted, or if he was sort of manipulating Arthur by pretending to be as his toady. Like a like a total Grimma worm tongue, Return of the King kind of thing. Interesting. Where he was posing as the lackey, but he's putting he's feeding all the ideas into his head. And I'm right. not I'm not quite sure which way the relationship was, but on my second read through, I was kind of leaning towards the second one. Where I'm Interesting. Like, I wonder if, because Eugene wants to go back to it and he sees that Arthur is wanting this, mm-hmm. it's sort of one of those like, yeah, 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 and you could do this, and you could do this, and what about this? And so <laughs> I, I kind of wonder which way Well, I mean, it does it have to be either or? Could it be a, I mean, if you're talking sure. to somebody, I mean, if you're talking to somebody, these kinds of things become like this feedback loop, you no, know? No, that actually, you th- kind th- of, you raise a great point on that mm-hmm. because like you, you look at, um, the, the, the horrifying rise of like white nationalism yeah. right now where you get, you know, that, that, that youth that's being like radicalized through racism where it's not, it's, it's not, it, it's not um, people who are older so much like, you know, manipulating them when they see that interest. Like you said, it actually mm-hmm. does become a feedback loop. I think you might be right on that. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you hear something from your elders, you ch- you pick and choose what you want to hear, you know, and then. Yep. Uh, all Arthur <laughs> needs is a red hat with a stupid ass slogan on it. Oh gosh. I know. It's it's insane how relevant this I, play is. Yes, 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 yes. A million times yes. <laughs> Please, somebody who's listening to this, uh, stage a production of this <laughs> in Seattle so I can buy a ticket. I it's, will come at least three times. It's been, I mean, it's been done in the U.S., but I almost want to say that back in the 70s, the 60s and 70s, even, I mean, even the 80s. Yeah. Uh, this is, like, it wasn't quite as relevant as it is now to... I mean, it's not really making as much of a statement if no, you're putting it back. I, no, it's true. I, 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 w- I was surprised. Like, some, some of the notes in the in the version of it I read, like, it was talking mm-hmm. about the various places it was put up. I guess uh, it was in the mid to late 60s. I don't remember which year. I'm going to say 66. And if I'm... Six, I think it was 68 was when it was first put written. Out. Yeah. 68 was first written. Then, then the, the year I'm suggesting is way off, obviously. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but no, that doesn't matter. I'm, I'm willing to admit being wrong on something. That That's A-OK. <laughs> Um, so I don't know what year. Oh, the translation copyright is 68. Okay. okay. So it was a 68 in New York. Okay. So there was, um, oh, here we go. This is what I was looking, looking for. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company actually put it on in in 66. 
Okay. And so it's it's one of those things where it's a play that has clearly had, you know, artistic acclaim because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the RSC isn't a company that's going to go, "Oh, hey, this play's stupid. Let's put that on." Yeah. They're they're going to take stuff that, that they they believe is quality. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm a total Shakespeare dork, so of course I think whatever their decisions are, I'm like, "No, nah, those those are good. They know they know what they're doing." <laughs> but I love the RSC. <laughs> Oh my god! That again. That'll be that'll be our our other our other conversation. We'll record a three hour podcast. Can I tell you about the time I was in London and I just wandered into a? Uh, it was the Sonnet Sunday, and it was Please literally do. just like they got all of these different people. Some of them were RSC actors. Some of them were high school kids, yes. and everybody was dramatizing a sonnet. Yeah, and it was amazing. And they finished it by tossing the sonnet like sonnets on little flags over the edges of the oh, oh it was great that's awesome <laughs> S- sidebar on that when, yeah when people audition for me i absolutely love when uh people do sonnets and i think it's tra- interesting uh, i do too like i have seen some incredible never... performances through a sonnet i've i keep my my two shakespeare monologues both of them are from henry's and one's a comedy and one's a and and people don't hear them very often which, but which, also which, like, which henry's well so i do joan um, yeah. from Henry V, and I do uh, Henry the Fourth. I do uh, the the barmaid, okay, nice. mistress quickly. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a you know it's it's a prose monologue, but Still, it's nah, fun. Whatever prose monologues are awesome. <laughs> Iambic's cool and all, but some of the prose ones just kick ass. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I mean the RSC and in the RSC, especially in the sixties. I mean. You know, think about who's who's there uh, I, I often do <laughs> i mean these are these are the people talk about idolizing your grandparents <laughs> dame judy dench and, oh my god and yeah and no <laughs> no that, that, that's an era where you, know, you talk about like oh if you had a time machine like where would you go I'm like um there, there are a lot of places but if if that was an option i would happily happily do that rsc in the 1960s yes that that level of talent (laughs) yeah but but you know with that like i said seeing that they did did tango Mm -hmm. so i think i think it said to open their season Mm -hmm. and i'm going okay that's maybe it was just part of their season i'm gonna say it was to open it and if if i'm wrong whatever um but seeing that they did it i'm going okay Mm -hmm. that that says a lot to me and those are actually i was that was in the notes um when i finished the play and so i read Mm -hmm. it once was kind of you know letting it percolate okay you know what what do i think about this what was it and i'm reading the stuff and uh this is gonna sound totally wankerous but i i read (laughs) the rsc did it i was like oh well i guess i should read it again it's not that i didn't like it but it was a matter of all right i should probably analyze this a little a little more than i than i have i mean i hate to break it to you but that's what the podcast is about anyway and you know what and thank goodness i did (laughs) did my diligence for you wankerous wankerous is a new word word of the day word of the day wankerous uh you you can you can credit my wife with putting that into my uh lexicon as uh she she loves the word and she also accuses me often of being wankerous um And she does not accuse me of this uh, without being correct. So she will happily be like, okay, yeah, the way you're, the way, okay, you're talking about Led Zeppelin like that. You're being so wankerous. All right. Yeah, no. Tell, tell us more about, about John Bonham's drums being played in the big hallway. Yeah. Everyone in this car cares. 
I love your wife, and I will happily credit her with whatever. Yeah, she is no. She was wonderful on this podcast, and she's a wonderful person. She's 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 a genius, and she <laughs> she keeps me supported and uh, that's le- good. Level headed. Great. Okay. Um, we're at about fifty minutes, forty seven. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the play that you were suggesting. Yes. And why uh, you're suggesting it? Okay. So, um, one of my favorite plays is uh, Antigone, mm-hmm. but there is a version of it I particularly love, and it's by Jean Ennui. Mm-hmm. And so I'm suggesting that. Um, a few things I love about it is the chorus in this version is. They're, they're not hoity-toity in the way that they say anything. It's mm-hmm. like they flat out say, um, paraphrasing, uh, yeah, you know, if your name's on the marquee of the play in one of these tragedies, things aren't good for you. <laughs> and they're like, little Antigone's about to grow up. Mm-hmm. And um, as I know this will be a, a later episode of the podcast, but spoiler alert, guys, I'm about to, to drop a great scene on you. <laughs> There, there's a there's a bit, and th- this one scene is what makes the entire play for me. Mm-hmm. It's the big head to head between Antigone and Creon, where Creon's giving her the out of like, look, you can give an apology for mm-hmm. burying your brother who is a traitor, and we won't kill you, and I'll be fine. And you know, she's going, no, I have to stand by my ideals, and I have to stand by my ideals. And he finally says, hey, listen, I'm going to level to you what it's like to rule. He goes, you know our two brothers, one chose one side, one chose the other. He goes, when I found their bodies, it almost looked like they were locked in an embrace. And they had been trampled by horses and they were incredibly mangled. And it was impossible to tell which one was which. So I took the prettier looking corpse and I gave them a hero's funeral and I let the other one sit out there and be picked out by the vultures. He goes, I have no idea who I buried and Mm. I don't care because I have a populace that I have to appease and I have a status quo I have to uphold. And I loved the scene Mm -hmm. going, this is awesome. Um, I I would... um, I would like uh, just absolutely. I would mug a nun to get the opportunity <laughs> to play that version of the role mm-hmm. because I've, I've, got a, I've always loved it. And my my favorite thing that was ever said to me by a theater instructor was, mm-hmm. "If you want to make an eighteen year old theater student's head explode, have them read Antigone, and then once they finish, go okay, Antigone and Creon. Who's the protagonist and who's the antagonist? And, and just watch their head pop. But <laughs> but it was in that moment where I went okay." I get Creon and mm-hmm. his upholding of the status quo. And, you know, the first time I read it, I was 18. So mm-hmm. um, I've always had, you know, tended towards the rebellious. But, I mean, 18-year-old metalhead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was full, full rebellious. Yeah, go, Antigone. That's right. Stick it to the man. Like, I don't get, you know, oh, Creon, what's this, you know, status mm-hmm. quo? Stick stick by, you know, stick by what's right. But then reading it where he's saying, I don't, I don't have a damn clue who I buried and I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I had to, the people were rioting. There was, you know, still Mm -hmm. turmoil. I had to do something to calm them down. So this is what I did. And they're dead. They don't know any different. Right. And I did this. And after I did it, everyone calmed down. So why don't you apologize? (laughs) Make nice. Do the thing that calms them down like I did. Mm-hmm. And I, that was what I loved about it is he wasn't, because in, 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 when, I, when I read the, the, the uh, 
I mean, I shouldn't say the original Greeks. I don't right. Pretty, I don't <laughs> speak Greek, but you know that translation. Mm-hmm. It seemed very much like, well, uh, this this is the order. This is the way of things. This is what you should do. And this Creon was trying to appeal to human who her humanity. Mm-hmm. He was saying, "Is like you don't have to die for something so stupid." Right. And so that that scene alone. So this is an adaptation. Yes. Rather than a translation. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. This one was was uh, done. I want to say it was, if I remember right, right around the French Revolution. I oh, think. interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so the specifically the Jean Ennui version is just one that I I love. And every couple of years I pick it back up and I, and I reread it. And there was there was a period of my life where um, I had quit theater for mm-hmm. a while. My my college experience wasn't great. And so when I graduated, I was like, well, that was that was fun, but I guess I got to get a job and pay my bills. And two things happened. Was One was a close friend encouraged me to audition for a show, and I ended up getting into it, and that mm-hmm. helped rekindle it. But I stumbled across my Jean Ennui Five Plays book, and the, where Antigone <laughs> was, was mm-hmm. still dog-eared. And I pick it up, and I read it. And going through it, it, it rekindled a lot of things in me. I'm like, you know, th- there, there are a lot of things that, that just fire up emotions in me or make my brain go yeah. and, and, and inspire me and, and, and make me happy. And so I went, okay, this, this, this is something I still need in my life. And so mm-hmm. it's, 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 a, it's a huge, huge play to me. Uh, for that reason, and one of the few instructors I did get along with in university was <laughs> the one who assigned it for mm-hmm. reading, and specifically for, for for that reason, like for the way the Creon Antigone relationship was portrayed, because I, I always thought originally Antigone looked too much like a young idealist, mm-hmm. um, much like I was at eighteen. Fair, yeah. Whereas. This one, she had all the facts presented to her mm-hmm. about what had happened, and she still decided, I'm willing to die for this, because whichever one of my brothers that was, she's like, that is more important to me. And if I die for giving my brother the funeral I think he deserves, mm-hmm. then so be it. And I, I found her death that much more tragic and beautiful in this version, hmm. simply because that one conversation, when he, when he goes... I I I don't I don't know I don't know who it was. Don't care. Here's what I had to do. Right. There you go. Huh. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm excited cuz I haven't really read Antigone. In college we read Medea sure. and that was the thing. Um which That's cool. Medea kicks ass too. I like Medea <laughs> just fine. It's That's a shocking one because yeah. she's obviously not like a good. She is definitely like an anti-hero. Um. <laughs> Medea is one of my favorite plays to give to uh, young women who are starting to really get excited about performing. If I find out they haven't oh, read wow. it, I was like, <laughs> you should read Medea. Mm-hmm. I want you to read it and just dig it. And I've never met a young lady who reads it for the first time that doesn't go, oh, wow, there are female characters like this out there. <laughs> like, It's yes, not all are. Netflix stars. Exactly. And- <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not all this you know, I, dumb, doe-eyed, so, ingenue crap. I know. I'm so tired of... I, I don't want to rag on musical theater because not all musical theater is awful, but I'm so tired of those the, the musicals that Fifth App puts on. And no, the, I, no, honestly, I get so bored of the same... 
I, I, call, them, I, I call them popcorn musicals, mm-hmm. you know? Th- th- there are times I really enjoy... Uh, one of my favorite musicals, I think, is a total popcorn musical. I <laughs> love Guys and Dolls. Okay. I straight up love that musical. Okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's fun. The music is enjoyable. The plot is simple. I'm not ragging on anybody who enjoys them. But, but well, but but at the same... I don't, I don't think you are. But I think at the same time, there's a time and a place for them. Yeah. Because I equate it to my love of action there's a movies. time and a place for us? Somewhere? Somewhere, yeah. A time. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I, like, yeah. but I, but I agree with you. I'm like, honestly, a production of Guys and Dolls, I would rather watch a small theater or like a community theater or even a damn high school put right. on Guys and Dolls than I would a professional theater company. Because the fact of the matter is, when you have that caliber of talent, mm-hmm. that caliber of budget, those are the ones I'm like, give me something new. Yeah. Because frankly... And they won't because they can't lose their audience base. I know, which is so <laughs> stupid and sucks. Because I've, I have gone to high school productions of mm-hmm. Guys and Dolls because I was supporting like a, a family friend kind yeah. of thing, and it's just as enjoyable as the one <laughs> I could see at the fifth. Because if they're crappy, I mean, they're still fun. You know, a musical is still a well, musical. Well, yeah, I understand I, what you're saying. I, I mean, because the, the songs are simple enough mm-hmm. that it's, it's not like you need to be a well-trained vocalist to sing right. some of them. Although, whenever I say people want, like, want to bring up Sondheim, like, no, I get it. Sondheim wrote incredible music. So, so, so we have to <laughs> we all them. love We all love Sondheim. Overrated. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I love Sondheim. I like some of the stuff, but it's overrated, and I will I, say that. Well, it, when compared to other, I don't know, like, you know, when you're comparing it to, who are the, who's the one that I don't listen to anymore? Andrew Lloyd Webber, or the, what are the, the jerks that did South Pacific? Sure. Oh, no. So, well, the, oh, Roger and Hammerstein. <laughs> Roger okay. and Hammerstein. That's because, South, that's because South Pacific sucks. Yeah. It's three hours, and it's boring. Yeah. So same as half of Rogers and Hammerstein's sure, musicals. Car- sure. Was it Carousel? Oh, oh god. my god. But the thing is, like, oh, well, again, like you mentioned, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Mm-hmm. I like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Okay. I, I I think the music's fun. I think it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But again, unless it's something like Phantom, where you need to have the budget to make the chandelier fall. Yeah. I, I bet you. I could find a community somewhere who put on a damn production of Joseph that's just as good as a production. I love one. Joseph. I You're do too. Right. It's I, a fun one. Joseph's a lot of fun. But again. <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay, Jesus Christ Superstar. You at least need one good singer to, mm-hmm. to, to play Judas. <laughs> but again, you can find that in communities. And I, I wish. Oh, yeah. I wish so much more of that was done in smaller theaters or community theater. Or hell, it's like if, if you've got, you know, some of those fringe theaters, do your do your well-known musical or like mm-hmm. well-known play to get some butts in the seats maybe charge a little more for those tickets to help fund your season so you yeah. can do some of these more interesting ones because i wish it wasn't just our smaller theaters doing things like tango here but it or- that's kind of how it is we we can <sighs> afford to when we don't pay our artists and when we can't you oh know my god is that a whole nother conversation i know i have this conversation almost every podcast I, yeah, yes <laughs> I, I, no i know because i've listened to all your podcasts oh <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, tell us how we can support you. Um, well, there, there are a few ways you can uh, support me. If mm-hmm. uh, if you want to support a company I love, there is a company up in the Skagit Valley called Shakespeare Northwest, mm-hmm. the Skagit Valley Shakespeare Festival. This will be my third consecutive year directing for them. Uh, I'm directing a production of Twelfth Night set in the ni- 1980s. That sounds fun. My cast is almost all women. Yay. And I'm very excited about it. I wanted to do an all-female cast, but with the talent that mm-hmm. came out, and we do our shows in repertory, yeah. um, our other show is A Midsummer Night's Dream. They, Some of the women they wanted to cast were the ones I wanted to cast. So I, I put men in a couple roles, and that's not how I wanted to do it, but I'm not unhappy with who I cast. <laughs> that's um, good. Yeah. Last year, I did Titus Andronicus. Two years ago, Comedy of Errors. Mm-hmm. Again, Shakespeare nerd. Love it. I I actually, I think that going up to Mount Vernon to see Shakespeare outdoors is a fun, fun day of activity. It, it really is. And for people it's who a are, nice little trip. Oh, yeah. And people who are like, oh, it's so far. I go, you know, if if staying in a and b is your budget, uh, go to La Conner. Ooh. Get a little place to stay there. Make a weekend of it. Yeah. Uh, I actually have some family that go to La Conner a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. And if it coincides with, with the Shakespeare Fest when they're up there, they will come see if it's a show I'm directing or I've performed up there a few times. Mm-hmm. They will they will come and see it. They don't book it around the fest, but <laughs> they I, I it's not uncommon for you to get an email or a text. Hey, we're going to be at La Conner on such and such weekend. Is your fest going on then? Mm-hmm. And if it is, I go, yeah. And they, they've come out and seen it because the, the venue we're at is about 10 minutes outside of La Conner. Yeah. And what else are you going to do when you're hanging out in Mount Vernon? Either. Precisely. There's not a lot. Um, it's other ways, pretty. There's other, hiking. There is. There, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also Sorry. yeah Continue. no I say you can also support me uh, if you are a director or a producer you can um, absolutely cast me in something <laughs> or or let me audition for you because yeah. uh, I I love auditioning I'm that's that's actually not a lie um, other ways that I and this is just like supporting my ideals uh, mm-hmm. please please give to Planned Parenthood they're mm-hmm. a wonderful organization. Uh, my girlfriend throughout college and then one of my best friends in the world and someone who I'm still very close friends with her and her husband, she would not have had health care for many, many years had it not been for Planned Parenthood. I give them money every single month and I will give them money until I cannot give money. And then just, just support Seattle artists in general. If, if you can afford to give money, please do. If it's a pay what you can night at a theater, um, Get, honestly, get, give what you can. Find mm-hmm. those nights. Go to them. G- g- those nights are often not heavily with butts in seats. I mm-hmm. say this as a performer who's done pay what you can nights. Go in. Show out. Do those things. Mm-hmm. Because nothing nothing means more to a performer than an audience. And <laughs> so, yeah. We're, um, we're egotistical types of people. We are. And that's okay. <laughs> because honestly, most of us... Admit it. And I would say six and lastly, mm-hmm. um, support support Seattle musicians as well. Um, I not on totally non-theater thing, I have to give a shout out to the Seattle Derby Brats. Uh, mm-hmm. They're currently looking for a new home. It's a roller derby for a lot of young women, which they really learn a lot of strength there. They learn to believe in themselves. They're tough and strong. Um, a, a young lady who's name, who goes by the name of Marley Quinn is part of a Dungeons and Dragons group that I play <laughs> in, and she's very cool and very tough. And but she, her and her group are looking for a place to go. So if you look up Seattle Derby Brats, and if you or anyone you know can help them find a new place, 
uh, do that and support women. Yeah, <laughs> if, if if you exist, uh, a woman was involved in the process and support <laughs> them because if you're a dude, um, the women have probably been through more shit than you have. So uh, that's all there is to it. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, (laughs) uh, if if I'm directing or if I'm acting, come see my shows. But otherwise, (laughs) support Seattle artists and support the ladies in your life. And if you don't, I will find you. (laughs) So, okay. I mean, that was... uh, That's... You can support A Word on Plays by uh, commenting... Yeah, commenting, uh, reviewing our podcast on whichever platform you use, liking... uh, Liking my Facebook page, subscribing on whatever platform you use... Um, and yeah, I mean, it really helps to rate and review. I can't really state that enough, but also I will be producing a play in October called Chalk and I will be performing in the 48 hour film festival this summer. So if you can come out to those, um, thank you. Bye.